and refresh ourselves just briefly. But <clears throat> and in light of that, I'm sure that uh, each of us uh, are aware of the fact that in going through the book of Ephesians, as I have been over the last number of months, uh, remember we made the emphasis of the theme, the overarching theme of sit, walk and stand. And the first three chapters in Ephesians are doctrinal in which they deal with us, uh, that we are seated with Christ, that we are positioned in Christ and, uh, and how critical that is as the first point of as when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and, um, and become a Christian, then we must understand our inheritance and who we are in Christ Jesus, which is where we get this emphasis of to sit in Christ. And then you'll find from chapter 4, Onwards, Paul shifts into very practical application and instructions concerning the Christian life and Christian living. And this is where we find uh, numerous emphases, as, as you'll recall, on, on walk, walk, walk. And so, there we, so cause you have, once you've learned to sit, you have to learn to walk. And in, in actual fact, before you learn to walk, you must understand and learn how to sit and be at rest in Christ first and foremost in his finished work on the cross and us being in Christ. And then we begin to proceed in the, the walking as a Christian and pursuit of holiness and things of that sort. And so this is where we've covered that and we finished in chapter uh, 6 verse 9 Last time I was at the, the pulpit here and that really brings to a conclusion or a completion the, some of the as, those aspects that relate to walking. And so now, which is the, uh, the short remainder of this epistle, is where Paul shifts again and this is where we find the emphasis being to stand. Sit, walk and stand. And so each is imperative. Each is absolutely critical because you have to learn to sit, you have to learn to walk and above all you have to learn to stand. And this is the culmination of Paul's writing as he's bringing this to a conclusion as we will see. And so one of the things he makes is the fact and he emphasises this as we'll discover and we won't get through all that uh, is related to this but actually um, as I learnt this morning I'm actually preaching next week as well so I get two, two weeks in a row so we can kind of pick up where we left off and move into the, the, the second phase of this particular text. But nevertheless Paul's talking about we have to learn to stand. Why and in what context? And uh, as we know the reality of the Christian life is this is we are in a war. We are in a spiritual war. We have a spiritual foe. We have spiritual enemies. And we would do well to understand this. This is not just um, a fairy tale. This is not just storytelling. We are talking about the reality of the Christian life uh, and we're talking about, uh, as the Bible refers to, the spiritual war and we have an adversary, the devil who walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so if that's the case, then if, if that's the enemy and the nature of the enemy, then he's looking for an opportunity. He's looking for an opportunity in which he can pounce upon uh, Christians in their vulnerabilities, ignorance, disobedience or whatever the con uh, situation would be. And so therefore we must understand God's word which exhorts us and instructs us to stand in that evil day 
having done all to stand. And so this is important because the enemy seeks to steal, kill and destroy. He doesn't want the child of God to rest in the fullness of the blessing. He doesn't want the child of God to live a victorious Christian life. He doesn't want the child of God to, uh, uh, to enter into uh, all the promises of God in which are in him, yes and amen. And so he wants to steal, he wants to thought, he wants to bring destruction to the Christian and so therefore, again, we come back to this point, we have to learn to fight. We see Israel when they came into the promised land. They had received their inheritance long before in which in this instance they had entered it and in doing so, they, uh, uh, in, in going into the promised land, they had to, had to engage in warfare. They had to stand against the enemy. Obviously, we understand uh, the context of it obviously was with the, uh, the captain of the army, which is Christ, amen. And we still have the same captain for us in the Christian life, which is Christ, amen, the power of his might, as we'll see. But nevertheless, there was the issue of war. And it's, 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 it's not an optional extra. It's not something, oh, well, I'll just, I'm a pacifist. I'm just going to avoid that. Sorry, you can't. This is the Christian life. This is a spiritual war that we are engaged in. And so it is imperative, you have no choice but to learn to stand and learn to fight. When, um, in, in actual fact, that the Bible tells us in Judges chapter 2 and 3 where the children of Israel were this, uh, the third generation that had come uh, after those that had come out of Egypt they were in the land and had possessed most of the land, but the Bible says that God allowed various nations to remain in the land, their enemies, in order to teach them to know war. So the whole emphasis of God was to teach them to know war and to understand that it, to live in, in, the, in the, the possession of God, they were going to have to learn to fight to maintain and hold their position and have what was rightfully theirs. And that really encompasses the Christian life. David spoke in Psalm 144 and he said, Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. And obviously we know the, the, the natural side of things but we are, make the spiritual application of it and it is clear that we are engaged in a battle and we have to learn to fight. God had to teach me this. I remember this. I remember many occasions, especially as a young Christian, feeling like I had come, I was worse for wear, and that the enemy had kind of had had upper hand on me many a times. But God taught me through that, through that, He taught me to stand. In the same way, He teaches us all, and in the same way, we'll see here in the scripture that we're going to consider. But let me just present this thought before we proceed. When we talk about the issue of standing this morning, we're talking about the holding of a position, okay? The holding of a position, the protection or guarding of a position because we're standing and uh, on what is ours in Christ Jesus that the enemy wants to try and attack. So let's keep that in mind. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6 and we'll read from verse 10 and we'll go down to verse 18 although we won't get there this morning. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, which is with, uh, with uh, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Amen. Now Paul is obviously bringing to a conclusion his epistle. That's why in verse 10 he says, Finally, this is moving towards his last instruction, his final word of exhortation to the, to the Ephesians in which he wants to leave them with a final thought for them to ponder and consider to under, and understand and live as a Christian. And this word applies for us all. And, uh, and it's interesting because it really comes in two phases, two parts to it which are found in verse 10 and in verse 11. But in verse 10 when he says, Finally, my brethren, be, this is part A, the first one, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You see, this is not, uh, when Paul says, Finally, my brethren, and he wants to give them uh, some uh, word of encouragement here and instruction, he's not just, you know, saying some, some psychobabble, you know, or just, you know, I hope everything's okay, or just be strong and be positive, it's all going to be alright, you know. No, 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 what Paul is talking about and his final words, they are filled with reality, they are filled with an understanding and a revelation of God's power and God's might that is ours as Christians, as children of God, and that we must appropriate for our Christian lives. And he says, verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And there we have be strong. The Greek word here, it captures the thought for us uh, to be empowered by God. And so this is not the power that rests in us or in positive thinking or, uh, um, you, know, um, you know, even in today, um, um, today's church age over the years, you know, there's been faith in faith in, you know, I'm just going to believe God, or I'm going to trust God. But they don't really understand the nature of faith and they don't understand the nature of the power of God that is readily accessible uh, to us in Christ Jesus. Be strong, be empowered of God. By the power of his might is Paul's first words to us. Now what is interesting is the, the, the Greek word in the power of his might, power here being the Greek word kratos, and it's found in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19. Now go back there because you'll see that Paul writes in here in chapter 1 and he says, what is the exceeding greatness of his power, or his kratos, 
and that's just the same word, the power of his might toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. According to the working of his mighty power. Or in other words, this particular scripture in verse 19 of chapter 1 is carrying the same thought and words in, as we find here in verse 10 and you could almost, actually you could, you could translate it in exactly the same way when Paul says, be strong in the power of his might, in the working of his mighty power. And so here it is, this exceeding greatness of his power be strong in the Lord and the power of his might is something that is at work in us. It's not by power, it's not by my not power, but by his spirit. And the spirit is the one that gives us the power that is needed and required. And in verse 20 of chapter 1 it says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's power. And the power of his might. We are to be strong and strengthened, Paul says, by his power in the Christian life. And this is important, this is imperative. That's why the Bible would say things like, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's why the Bible would speak with the words like, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's why we find uh, these exhortations of our position and the power that we have. It's not of us. We're nothing. We have no power. In actual fact, uh, there were those, uh, uh, those uh, that tried to cast out the demon from the sons of Sceva, uh, and they, uh, uh, the seven sons of Sceva who tried to cast out that demon, and they said, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? And they overpowered these uh, uh, that tried to exorcise the demon because uh, they have no power. The power, amen, uh, when it says Paul I know, it means the, the Jesus in Paul I know. The power of God that's in Paul I know. And the power of God that is in us, the, amen, the, the enemy knows. And this is the power that is supposed to be, make us strong and empower us to live the Christian life. See, Kratos' power, God's power, is a demonstrative power and it is, it is the thought that has been captured is a dominion that we are to exercise as Christians. That word, the power of his might, means forcefulness. We're talking about uh, authority. We're talking about strength. We're talking about dominion that we have through the power of God. And so we find here, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, his power, his strength, becomes ours. And it, it, is, and it is to be harnessed and it is to be exercised in various ways. Verse 11. This is the second part of Paul's finally. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And his second part to this exhortation is found in verse 11 where he says, Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So here it is, the full armour of God. 
And now we know, and we're not going to go into the specifics of this this week, next week we will, but we understand that Paul goes on to bring an analogy of the armour of God by taking a, um, an assessment of a, the armour of a Roman soldier and according to these observations he draws spiritual parallels and, and, and um, spiritual applications of this battle and of this war and for us to, the need for us to have on the armour of God. You have to put on the armour of God, church in the Christian life. Why? Well, two reasons. One is to protect yourself. See, the armour is, uh, is, is, is defensive and, in Paul's, and, in, and what Paul is talking about here, I believe it's primarily talking in a defensive sense, but not only. He's also speaking in the offensive aspect as well because when you look at the armour of God, uh, the sword is not in vain, amen? The sword is not there just to, for looks. The sword there, I'm sure it can be used as a defensive weapon but the sword is an offensive weapon and coupled with the armour of God we are to engage in this war and in this battle. We have to learn to fight. Fight the enemy. Now it's interesting that Paul says to put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, this, now when Paul says to stand, what Paul is thinking here is he's, he's thinking clearly of the ability to hold your position. That you may be able, put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand that you may be able to hold your position because when the enemy uh, wants to assault, when the enemy wants to attack, uh, when uh, he tries through his various wiles, as Paul refers to them, uh, we have to have the ability to stand and to hold our position. And this is important. Because the enemy has wiles, Paul says. He has, this Greek is the word methodia, which talks about that the devil has many methods. He has many multi, uh, multi-varied aspects uh, uh, that he uses in trickery and devices uh, that he tries to employ to get us to trip up, to cause us to sin, to cause us to disobey God, to not trust God, or whatever the case may be. And in doing so, we fail to stand. And so we have this emphasis of having to stand and hold our position in the Lord. Why? Because, look at verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, this, this particular statement, this particular verse right here in verse 12 is capturing so much for us to see. It talks about the devil. It talks specifically against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness and spiritual hosts of wickedness. I mean, there's an, the, the, the understanding here is there is an array of forces that are, against, are working against us. And he also says in heavenly places. 
Now note that because remember in chapter 1 Paul says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter, that's in relation to sitting. And then we have Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Where is the war that we are fighting? In the heavenly places. And this is why we, is, uh, this is all, so in Christ Jesus we are dealing with a supernatural realm, a spiritual realm and we, would, we must uh, acknowledge it, understand it and learn to uh, apply it and live in accordance with it. See, Satan and demonic powers have access and operate through the heavenlies, the heavenly places. That's what we see here. And note Paul's words, he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our enemy is not one another, amen? Our enemy is not uh, our mother-in-law. Our enemy is not such and such or this person or that person. And I know that the enemy can use various people. But we must understand and see first and foremost beyond flesh and blood we must understand that there is a spiritual dimension. Now you say, oh, Pastor Gary, you're being a little over-spiritual. No, you, can't over-spirit- you can over-spiritualise it, but this is spiritual. This is spiritual. This is what the Bible's teaching us. This is exactly what Paul's wanting to show us. And so it, uh, we, uh, we wrestle. Now this word wrestle in the Greek means to struggle. The Greek word is actually, it was interesting as I studied this, because the Greek word is pale, and it means to struggle, it means to wrestle, it, re- it refers to hand-to-hand combat. And what's interesting is the word itself comes from the Greek word uh, that is called the, um, uh, well, in, act- in actual fact, the Greeks back in the time of their Olymp- you know, Olympia, the Greeks, they had the palestra. And this is what this Greek word is actually connected with. And this is the thought that and in, in the in Olympic Games, the palestra was the, order, you know, the, 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 the auditorium in which uh, would house the combat and the fighting and the training and all the gymnastics, all the different things that were, being, um, um, that were ongoing in that place. Like in Philadelphia, there's a stadium that's called the palestra and they have all types of things in this auditorium. But in this instance, according to the Greeks, it carried the idea of conflict. And so, and so when Paul uses that we wrestle, he, he has an understanding of, the, of these things, the palestra, and they understood clearly that there's a contest here, there's a battle, there's a fight. And so um, this is really, really interesting because uh, it gives us a picture of this struggle, this wrestle that, that exists in the, in the Christian life and in the spiritual life. And the truth of the matter is, Paul is describing a conflict with unseen enemies. We wrestle, not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces, spiritual foes that are hell-bent on, dest- on destruction, that are hell-bent on afflicting us, oppressing us, deceiving us, seducing us, and in all the various wiles and stratagems of the devil. And we are engaged in this battle. We are wrestling. 
And notice as well, four times in verse 12, Paul uses the word against. He says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's it, five, but he says here, against principalities, against powers, against rulers, against spiritual hosts. I mean, this is a war. They're against us and we're against them and we wrestle with them in the Christian life. I know that these, these things have been taken out of context big time over in the church age. There's so many false teachings that relate to spiritual warfare. It's just ridiculous. Remember one guy, you know, talked about, you know, they were going to go into the city and they're going to take authority and dominion and all that stuff and, you know, and then they would get these scriptures and they'd put them on stakes and they'd go bang them in the, there in the city in various strategic places because they were taking dominion. Like, like seriously, that is not spiritual warfare. We're not called to march, we are called, amen, to stand. And so this whole concept is, is something that is not what Paul is talking about in these verses whatsoever. But we are wrestling against. And he says, uh, and, and, and no doubt there's a military understanding and aspect to what Paul is saying. That's why he's drawn the parallel of the armour of God or of the Roman soldier because Paul has an understanding of, of the heavenly uh, forces of darkness uh, the, the, and the kingdom of darkness and he's making this application. And so we know that Satan is the principal leader. He says, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities. Now, this idea of principalities is, the, again, the, the ark, the, uh, the archaeus, or the principal chief, which is first and foremost Lucifer himself, Satan. But you know, we know that Satan can't be, he's not omnipresent, so he can't be everywhere at once. So we have an ordered structure, a disciplined unit, if you want to call it, that operates within the, the realm of darkness and we have principalities. Satan being the chief uh, of that and then we have th there are those in the kingdom of darkness that are principles. Princi they're, 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 you know, in the same way we have various principalities. In, in we have the local government, I mean sorry, we have the state government but then we have local governments or we call them local principalities. So we have uh, Satan, we have principalities. And so this is the idea, and these are lofty positions uh, of rank and authority. Then it talks about against powers. And then again we're talking about delegated authority in the kingdom of hell that have a level of authority to wreak havoc amongst the people of God. He talks about the rulers of the darkness of this age. And again, this is interesting because the word is cosmokratos and uh, the rulers of the darkness. And so it comes from two Greek words. Obviously, kratos, we looked before power, but cosmokratos talks about order and arrangement. The cosmos is structured, it's ordered. And so the kingdom of darkness uh, is structured, it's ordered. There's, uh, there's uh, delegations of authorities that operate and these forces are at work against us. And Paul finally says against spiritual hosts of wickedness, meaning that these are, these are vicious, hateful, vile, bad, evil spirits that are seeking to, to kill and to destroy. And all this against the child of God. And it's in light of that reality of verse 12 that we are to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might and we are to put on the whole armour 
of God. That's why. Now let's look at verse 13. In light of this, Paul says, Therefore, therefore, take up the whole armour of God. Now we're not going to look at the whole armour of God today. But we will consider aspects of it next week. But in this, this is the point and the emphasis I want to make. Remember, we're talking about standing. Sit, walk and stand. So here it is, verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, verse 14, stand therefore. Stand. You see, I cannot overemphasize enough this morning of the need to stand. We have to withstand those against the powers of darkness that want to move against you and I. And we are to withstand, having done all to withstand, maybe, so we may be able to withstand, to oppose, to resist. And having done all to stand, or in other words, to take a stand. We know what it's like to take a stand with, uh, in a physical sense and to hold our position. And this is how it is spiritually speaking. And the picture is one of strength and of power and authority and dominion because this stand is connected with the empowering and strength of God's power and his might. Can I just read to you? I, I have a, a Bible translation at home. It's called William's New Testament. I don't know if people are familiar with it at all. And, but it, it, it's a unique translation that, um, and I, I, wanna, I, I photocopied and I want to read to you this portion of text because I like the way he puts it and it captures the essence of what Paul's saying. He says these words from verse 12. He says, For our contest is not with human foes or flesh and blood alone, but with the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of this dark world, that is, with the spirit forces of evil challenging us in the heavenly contest, in the heavenly places, the heavenly contest. That's where the battle rages, the heavenly contest. So you must take on God's full armour so that as to be able to take a stand in the day when evil attacks you. And after completely, after having completely finished the contest, to hold your own, hold your position then, and then he goes into the armour of God, to hold your position. See, it's a contest. We're wrestling, not against flesh and blood, spiritual hosts of wickedness, and we are to stand, we are to hold our position, because this is a contest. And it's a contest that we cannot avoid. You're going to have to learn to fight. You're going to have to learn to hold your ground. You're going to have to learn to stand. You see, the understanding is this. I have the ground and I only need to keep it. Amen? Because I'm in Christ. I'm seated in heavenly places. I have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing. 
I already have received in Christ the, uh, my inheritance uh, and now I am learning to stand as a Christian and I'm learning to stand on his righteousness, I'm learning to stand on his grace, I'm learning to stand, amen, in Christ and all that he is and has become to me and so when the enemy comes, amen, I can stand and I can withstand and I can hold my position because so many Christians uh, give up their position and that's why they are bound in the flesh, that's why they are uh, bound in condemnation and continue to live in fear, in guilt or whatever the case may be. You've got to understand your position and then hold your position. You see, that we, we, we are holding our ground. You see, the truth of the matter is this, church, Jesus has already won the victory, Amen. Colossians tells us in chapter 2, verse 15, let me read it, clearly what Christ has done when it says concerning the powers of darkness in verse 15, he says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them and he triumphed over them in it. And that's where I stand, amen, in his victory, in his triumph. In what he has accomplished already, he's the one that went out and attacked the devil and defeated him and crushed him, amen, at Calvary. And I stand in that. And all my position is that. So when the enemy comes to want to try and encroach upon me or want to push me back or trip me over or attack me or assault me, I learn to stand. This is why you have to know the word of God. This is why as a Christian we are vulnerable but we desire the pure milk of God's word and God builds us up in our holy faith and we grow stronger in the inner man. And then all of a sudden we learn to stand and hold our ground. And we learn to use, as we'll see next week, the sword of the Spirit. Amen? And so we're holding our position, verse 14. Verse 14, stand therefore. You see, he goes on to talk about how the armour works and we'll look at that next week. But you see, can I just say this? I, 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 I learned to stand. And I learned to stand by being knocked down many a times. I remember in my walk with the Lord in the yearly years, at times just crying out to God, you know, and I want God just to deal with things for me. Take this away, Lord. And yet one day, the moment, you know, the moment I learnt to stand and to put to death and to exercise this power, the moment I stood, everything changed. Actually, the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, stand against him, and he will flee from you. Because once you're holding your position, church, he can't penetrate. And all of a sudden I learned to walk in the power and in the liberty and in the freedom that is in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of spirit, uh, sin and death. And, in, and all of a sudden, it, this might sound silly, but I learned to say no. I learned to not believe that and not accept that. And the devil wants to mess with our minds with his fiery darts. And then when we learn to stand on the word of God, when we learn to apply the word of God, uh, and as we sang this morning, standing on the promises of God, then we are 
as the scripture says. What is that? That's right, more than conquerors. And I pray you see the point that is being shown here. And again, when we talk about standing, we're not talking about some arrogant position. The Bible says actually, let him who stands take heed, lest he fall. We understand that, you know, oh, I can do this. Oh, my strength, yeah. The moment you start thinking like that, your pride comes before a fall. Okay? So we are, we, but we live soberly. That's why Peter says we, we, we are sober. We are vigilant. We are sober. We understand the dynamics of God's word. We're vigilant. We're watchful. And uh, uh, because we have an, an enemy who's, who's like a roaring lion seeking to devour each of any of us in that evil day when he comes. And when, it's when you're at your worst, when you're at your weakness, when you're at your most vulnerable. But then when he attacks, we learn to stand. Hold your position. And truly, this contest is lifelong. That's why Paul would say at the end of his life, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I have kept the faith. And he wrestled. He wrestled with the beasts of Ephesus, whatever they were. He wrestled with the spiritual forces of darkness. He wrestled with the false teachers. He wrestled. He constantly was engaged in this conflict until the end of his life where he said those words. And I tell you, it doesn't change for us, church, but we win in Christ Jesus. You know, we can be prone to discouragement. We can be prone to unbelief. We can be prone to disobedience and despair. And when we move into that realm as Christians, then we lose the ability to stand. Because you, when you stand, you're going to have to have the shield of faith. And so, you know, remember when Israel was in disobedience to God, one of the things that God brought about as a consequence was they had an inability to stand before their enemies. And so too, when we are living in disobedience to the known will of God, then we are, uh, in the same way, uh, you try and stand and you cannot stand because the power of God is associated with truth and righteousness. You can't be living in disobedience and expect to stand in this sense. So, because otherwise the enemy gets a foothold into people's lives and, and uh, all kinds of things begin to transpire and, um, you know... Uh, and so many lives are brought up, you know, the consequences in people's lives are, can be horrific. But we have to have faith. We have to stand. And if necessary, we have to repent and confess any sin and then all of a sudden we'll, we'll, we'll find that position of strength again to stand in the Lord. And as I conclude this morning, let me conclude with this words, these words, the devil hates to see the child of God hold his position. Hates it. Because when you get to that point of learning to stand and to hold your position and to engage that wrestle and, and submit to God, resist the devil, stand against him, he will flee from you. And that's the position. The devil hates to see the child of God in that position, but that's where God wants all of us. Amen? All of us to remain in that place, to live in that place. And what a blessed place it is. Praise the Lord. Standing on the promises of God. A position of power, 
a position of authority and a position of victory. Let's pray. Father, we just bless the name of the Lord this morning. We thank you, O God, for the power of your might. We thank you, Lord, that we, are, we can be strong, empowered by this power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Lord, to engage in this heavenly contest, this spiritual battle against the spiritual hosts and forces of darkness, but we thank you, Lord, that the battle has been won. And God, the victory is ours, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And Lord, as we trust in you, as we hold fast, God, to your word, as we stand firm in Christ Jesus and all that he has accomplished, we can withstand, we can hold our position, and Lord, in doing so, we can, Lord, exercise the power and authority that is ours in Christ Jesus. So Lord, I pray that you would edify each individual here and bless us in the name of Jesus. Amen.